You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hi guys, I'm historian Christine Morgan, and I'm so excited that you've joined my friends at Queen's Podcast for Tudor Week. Heads up, before we dive in, Katie and Nathan use strong language, so if you don't like that, this isn't the show for you. But if you love the Tudors and other history content, including TV show reviews and author interviews, find me on the Tudors Dynasty podcast or on the Untitled History Project YouTube channel, or just listen to more Queen's podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. I love this cocktail, Nathan. Yes, it's called the Homewrecker. And why is it called the Homewrecker? Because we're talking about Anne Boleyn. So, ah! full disclaimer, we both don't agree with that label. But history's a bag of dicks. She's been viewed as a Homewrecker. And so, Homewrecker cocktail, here we are. So what it is, is strawberry vodka, rum, peach schnapps, and then orange juice until your taste buds delight. I can, like, the peach snops just kind of hit me. Like, I felt like it was undertones until I was, like, on my third sip. And then it was like, hey, schnapps. <laughs> what up? That's my nickname on the weekends. Hey, well, hey schnapps. <laughs> I don't know. Anne was probably born in about 1501. Probably at Hever Castle, which is in South England. And probably the middle of three surviving children. There's also a theory out there saying that she was born in 1507. And those people kind of believe that she was the oldest child. And some believe that she was born in Bleeding Hall. We're going to so... go with the assumption <laughs> that she was born in 1501. And the second of three children. That's our story and we're sticking to it. And we talked about this before in previous podcasts. They really didn't record when the women were born at yeah, that time. Because... And the census was a bag of dicks mm-hmm. and they only recorded the birth of men. So I really want us to make, if we ever make swag, I want to make some tote bags that say bag of dicks on it. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Yeah. I want some. So anyway, her parents were Elizabeth Howard and Thomas Bullen. So Anne's mom was from this Howard family and they're a really old, really prestigious family in England. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Howard's dad was the Duke of Norfolk. And by the time Anne was born, her brother was the Duke of Norfolk. So Anne's mom's side, the Howard family, big fucking deal. Bougie yeah. as fuck. And we could go down that whole rabbit hole of the Howard family. But uh, so one thing that I read was that Anne's grandma on her mom's side was actually a lady-in-waiting to Elizabeth Woodville, who we did an episode on, mm-hmm. and a lady of the bedchamber for Elizabeth of York, which we have not done an episode That's on. Henry VIII's. That's Elizabeth Woodville's daughter and Henry VIII's uh, mom. Mom. Mom, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all named Elizabeth yes. and Mary. and <laughs> Her dad's family wasn't... Like, her dad's family now, like in the present time when Anne was born, was noble, but, like, they're not... They're a little bit more of the social climbing. They're not as old a family. But they're also not like the fucking peasants off the street that history yes. has written them to be. So what I read about her grand, her father's like dad, which would be her grandfather on her dad's side. Or was, was it her father's grandfather? Her father's grandfather. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> the schnapps. <laughs> the schnapps. He was a mad hatter who rose through the ranks. So, well, he was a hatter. He made hats. Yes, yes. And yes. he made a lot of bank and he rose up through the ranks there and served as the Lord Mayor of London, which was a pretty big yeah. deal. Yeah. And, you know, Thomas was kind of reaping the benefits of that. Though I think the Bolands, since they started they started at the bottom, now they're here, they were, especially Thomas, was an ambitious fella. Yeah, I, and, I, like I said, I think that they're like a businessman. Like, yeah. Like, he was a businessman. Um, Like, even marrying someone from a Howard family, you know, that shows that, like, he pulled his weight around he mm-hmm. like made things happen though i'm sure a lot of our listeners have watched the tutors or other shows where they depict thomas Boleyn as this really like kind of just like 
crummy, like, lets his ambition get in the way of everything type guy. I don't think, I think he was ambitious, but not to a fault like that. That's my personal opinion. Obviously, we have no way of knowing. So, she had an older sister, Mary, and a younger brother, George. And um, there are some disputes on if Mary or Anne were actually older. We are going with the assumption that she was younger than Mary. Yes, that Mary Anne was, was the second the, daughter. Yeah, Mary was the older one. And they also had, so they had a younger brother, George, and then they had had two brothers, Henry and Thomas, who died in childhood, sadly. Henry but that was, and Thomas, more names that we've had. Yeah, more oh, names yeah. that every <laughs> fucking body is named at this time. So the stories of Anne being from like this family of peasants and nobodies is just it's not It's just not true. No. I mean, her parents weren't. Ferdinand and Isabella, but like who's fucking are besides Catherine of Aragon? And by the way, if you haven't listened to Catherine of Aragon episode, it would be a good idea yeah. to like backtrack and go listen to that one because it kind of sets the stage. I mean, probably not completely necessary, but it does dive into some political things of the time that we won't have time to touch here. So. so Anne's early education was a time in history where girls actually got a fairly good mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. It was... um it was just fashionable at this time to educate your daughters well. Fashion. <laughs> Turn to the left. <laughs> so, you know, just like any most people of this time, um, she was educated at home by her mother at the beginning of her life. And actually, I thought this was kind of sweet. Like, her and her mother seem to have had a really friendly, loving relationship, which we get so many queens who... Um, Mom's dead. Their mother is dead from giving birth <laughs> to too many children, or their mothers were crazy, ambitious bitches. It seems like... Her and her mom were just, like, got along. So that's kind of nice. So a turning point in Anne's life is that Anne's dad, Thomas, gets appointed as the ambassador of Austria. And he goes over there to get his diplomacy on. Get your diplomacy on. (laughs) Um, He meets Margaret of Austria, and they become friends. Margaret of Austria, I would like to do an episode on one day. She is super fascinating, and I wish I would have had time to research her more. There were so Um, many rabbit holes with Anne Boleyn. There are so many (laughs) rabbit holes with Anne Boleyn. Basically, what you need to know for this story, Margaret of Austria was the governor of Austria, probably the most powerful woman in Europe at this point, and she was in charge of the education of all the Habsburg children, which was like the the biggest royal family in Europe. They were like... Hatsburgs were in the Spanish royalties. They were in like the Holy Roman Emperor. They even family. had a genetic and deformity called after them. Yeah, the, 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 the Hatsburg jaw. Big ass jaw chin. <laughs> yeah, Thomas, like right away, is like, I want to see if I can get one of my kids in here to get educated with these people. Which is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and Margaret was like, Sure, I'll take one of your children on. And she is such a good role model. Such a good role model. Strong, powerful woman. I think this is where Anne really started to understand. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so spoiler alert, he chose to send Anne over there. Uh. (laughs) I think think Anne was was his favorite child. Like, she was the smart one. She was the witty one. She wasn't the most beautiful one of his children, but what she lacked in um, traditional prettiness at this time, at least, she made up for in, like, being funny and witty. Yeah. And smart. So. so her dad sends her to Austria and she Margaret to do her finishing school. She got the best education. This is 1513. She got the best education anybody could hope for, boy or girl. Right. And really, I mean, Henry VIII wasn't, like, he wasn't raised thinking he would be king, so he got a subpar education to his brother, Arthur. Still a really good education because he was a royal child, so him and Anne probably had educations on the same, mm-hmm. like, in line with each other. She didn't take this opportunity for granted either. No. She knew that this was a, a chance to rub elbows and with all the words rich royalty. of Alexander Hamilton, a la the play <laughs> Hamilton, oh he was gosh. like she was like, I'm not throwing away my shot. <laughs> <laughs> You went there. Yeah, so, she, she just charmed the pants off of everybody. Like, yeah, Margaret even wrote to Thomas that Anne is so pleasant for her young age that I am more beholden to you for sending her than you are to me. And I mean, like... That's that, a compliment for that's Margaret. That's a compliment. <laughs> that might be a little bit of hyperbole, like, but still, even if she's just being nice, that's still... That's crazy. And that's another place where, so a lot of people, like we said, think that she was born in 1507 instead of 1501. This is one of the reasons I think the 1501, because in 1513, she's going over there, she's 12. 
And that's a time when a girl would do her finishing school because yeah. she's about to be like 12 or 13 is about like marriage. So age. she was born in 1507 and she went over there. She'd be like six. And like, <laughs> just I don't know. Make... I mean, it's plausible. But, but it's it just a big age gap. It's a There's big a, and that's age gap. In, in terms of a learning curve, six and 12, 13. Like, yeah, that's like. Yeah, let's let's move on. But I do want to talk about the age gap more a little bit later but her education really took off at this point it was all of the liberal arts like poetry music dance art history oh yeah and she learned how to perfect français and this is a huge deal this is a huge deal in court she took to the french language the french culture the french everything like a French fish to French water. Like she got she, French fried. She <laughs> she got French fried hard. <laughs> she loved it. No, she like later on in life people would be like surprised when they're like, Oh no, that's a that's an English woman. That's not a French woman. People are like what? Cause and she it's just... a big deal at that time to be able to speak French. Because... Yeah, it's like English now. How no matter where you go in the world, people know how to speak English. That's how French was then. Like, you needed to know how to speak French. Hit me up with some orange juice. Oh, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay, that's good. So then, after a little bit of schooling, she becomes Margaret's lady-in-waiting. No big deal. And then, after about a year in Austria, King Henry VIII sends his sister, Margaret, over to marry the king of France. Margaret's um, a teenager, and the king of France is like 55. But, but. but Anne's dad ends up scoring a position for her as the lady-in-waiting to the freaking queen of France. It's a huge fucking deal for someone so young, but a lot of it had to do with, okay, she's so smart and she's fluent. She's so fluent in both English and French that it just made sense. Yeah, there's a French king and a English queen. <laughs> yeah, and so her and her sister Mary both went over to France to be ladies in waiting. But then that King Louis the Twelfth died like three months after they got married. And I'm sure Margaret Tudor was like, "Oh, thank God, <laughs> right. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with this." Yeah. So the English queen goes home, and most of her ladies in waiting go home. But Queen Claude was about the same age, so the new Queen of France was about mm-hmm. the same age as Anne. They really got along, so she decided to keep Anne and her sister on as lady, ladies in waiting. She served Queen Claude for like seven years. Seven years, which is another reason that I think she was born in 1501, because who's going to be a lady in waiting when you're eight? You know? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But Queen Claude was the Let's mother talk about her for a hot of uh, Henry II of France, who you remember from the Diane de Poitiers episode. Yeah, that was um, Diane's boo. So that means Anne Boleyn and Diane de Poitiers knew each other. Mind blown. Like, I did spend, I did go down a rabbit hole and really tried to find places where I could definitely place them at the same place and time. There's no record of them like being at the same place, except for that we know Diane de Poitiers was present at the birth of Henry II. I mean, Anne Boleyn was Claude's lady-in-waiting, so she... Like, there's no she record of her being, but it's implied. She should have been. That she would, I mean, that's, like, the number one job of a lady-in-waiting to a queen, be there when she's having her babies and, like, make yeah. sure she's okay, you know, help her or whatever. No record, but probably happened. I mean, they must have known each other. And I'm sure there were plenty of other events that happened. That yeah. That have, like, crossed paths. I mean, if they were, yeah, if they were both in the royal household and born, like, around the same time, so they'd been about the same age. Anyway, that was a rabbit hole I went down on. <laughs> Sounds like it. So haters are going to hate, and I read this as well, that, that she learned to be a big slutty McSlut slut here. And she, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. No, Claude, her, the queen that she was a lady and waiting for was super pious. So I don't think Anne would have spent any time horning it up because she was like a really trusted lady to Claude. Like they were tight. Yeah. But her sister Mary, however, did have some fun a little bit. And it's believed that she slept with a French king. Yeah, apparently she got quite the name for herself at French court. So I had a talk with our friend and friend of the show, Christine. Go check her out. But she's writing her thesis on Mary Boleyn. So I asked her, tell me what you think about Mary and Anne's time in France. Christine was like, Claude had more people in her employ than 
any French queen ever had. She had 285 people working for her. Wow. And so there were more women at the court than there had ever been at any time. So all the male courtiers are just like tongues wagging. Like, oh, no, like, don't do um, Christine explained to me, it was like, yeah, you were pious when you were out and about. You were like saint in the street, whore in the sheets type ah. thing. Christine, who's writing her fucking thesis on Mary, believes that, yeah, Mary probably slept with the king, but probably wasn't like a regular mistress. It was probably like a one or two time thing yeah. or whatever. Of course, the word got spread around that once it happens once, it's, oh, it's happened 20 times. And so Daddy Boleyn, who, you know, is still an ambassador to mainland Europe at this point, hears this. <laughs> and he's just like, you coming home and brings <laughs> Mary home, but leaves Anne there, which again, like if she was horning it up. And he brought Slutty McSlut Face Mary back home. He would bring. He would have brought her back, back home. home. So but I she think, was the daughter that he trusted that had. So the I knowledge. think that's evidence that she wasn't that she was holding up a good reputation and not you know doing anything that her dad wouldn't be proud of. Do you agree? Yeah, I completely. Agree. Yeah, and if and if Anne wasn't already his favorite daughter, <laughs> after this he was just like. And the whole thing that I read is that if anybody ever confused the two of them, it was because it was really Mary and not yeah, Anne. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if, um, if, if Anne being labeled as a slutty McSlut slut, it was because they, Mary only slept with the king like once or twice. Because <laughs> they confused it, like in yeah. like it. Because they called them the Bullen girls, like oh, yeah, it's the so Bullen girls. So they would get them confused. So they'd be mm -hmm. like, oh, Anne slutted it up in France, and it's like, no, you're thinking. Did archaeologists discover Noah's Ark? Is the rapture coming as soon as the Euphrates River dries up? Does the Bible condemn abortion? Don't you wish you had a trustworthy academic resource to help make sense of all of this? Well, I'm Dan Beecher, and he's award-winning Bible scholar and TikTok sensation Dr. Dan McClellan. And we want to invite you to the Data Over Dogma podcast. Where our mission is to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and also to combat the spread of misinformation about the same. But, you know, in a fun way. Every week we tackle fascinating topics, we go back to source materials in their original languages, and we interview top scholars in the field. So whether you're a devout believer, or you're just interested in a clear-eyed, deeply informed look at one of the most influential books of all time, we think you're going to love the Data Over Dogma podcast. Wherever you subscribe to awesome shows. Magic mirror on the wall, who are the most rotten ones of all? Hello my darlings, and welcome to Rotten to the Core. Here, we will scry into the past and discover some rotten apples throughout our history. Have no fear, my pretties, for we shall learn a lesson, not only about their horrendous deeds, but also about our own power. Let's step out of the shadow of the past and help pull it towards the light. I am your host, Josh Waters, and I'll be the queen guiding you on our journey. Now, come along, dears. We have lessons to learn. History is waiting. <laughs> of Mary, but exactly. I hate the word slut but we're trying to put our minds into that time frame. Yeah, 16th century. Well, what they were was getting it on with some powerful men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some cool stuff that she was probably involved in while she lived in France. So she probably would have met Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, I read this and it was like around the same area where Cl Queen Claude was like loved to go whenever she was pregnant mm -hmm. and she was barefoot and pregnant at that time. Yeah. So well, it we talked about, again, area. we talked about in the Diane de Poitiers episode how King Francis, Claude's husband, was like obsessed with Italian art, Italian architecture and everything. Francis had invited this guy, uh, da Vinci, this guy. I just called Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci this guy. Just, just, just this guy. Rio. He invited Leonardo da Vinci to come like live out his old age in France and he came to court several times. And so if he would have met the queen, 
and probably met him. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Right. She was translator to like anyone that came from England. So as at a very young age, she would have like been on the radar of like really powerful people from England. Yeah. And one of those things that we talked about in the Catherine of Aragon episode that's here now is going to be the field of the cloth of gold. Yeah. Which so was basically just a bunch of gilded peacocks going around <laughs> acting the like all The field of cloth rich. of gold in a nutshell was the French and English court got together to measure dick sizes of the king. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> I was going to interrupt you and say the same thing. <laughs> We've known each other too long. But Anne would have been there serving Claude and also serving as a translator. And her dad was also there since he was an ambassador. So, oh, family reunion. Yay! I just think she really strived in France. I wish I could just end this story with, and then she married some French count and <laughs> then lived we in would, obscurity. Then we wouldn't have Protestants if that happened. Well, speaking of Protestantism, um, we mentioned a little bit in the Diane de Poitiers episode, the court of Henry II's dad, whose name is Francis, he was a little sympathetic to Protestants. Mm-hmm. So that was this court. So, Addie Kay, maybe she learned something there that'll come into play later. Uh, Hashtag spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> What did she look like, Katie? So, here's what we know. She was brunette. She had olive-toned skin, brown eyes, and she was flat-chested. So, at the time, blonde. None of that was popular at the time. Yeah, blondes with big boobs. So, Katie, you would have been fine. I would have been just fine. And so, I love Natalie Dormer as portraying Anne Boleyn. I feel like she embodies her so well. Character-wise. But when it comes to, like, actual looks... No. Besides the brown hair, like she has blue eyes, she's curvy, she has like that porcelain skin. Of all the people that play her, I think on paper, Natalie Portman probably looks the most yeah. like her because she's slight and skinny and flat chested and brown hair, brown eyes, even though she probably was nowhere near as pretty as Natalie Portman because Jesus Christ, Natalie Portman's beautiful. Right. You know? Right. But yeah, at the time everyone was like, Oh no, her sister Mary is much prettier because her sister was blonde and stuff. Sister may be prettier, but she's got the smarts. Yes. <laughs> so There were rumors that she had a sixth finger. Totally um, false. Totally fucking false. Because back then they viewed any physical deformities as like witchcraft, a reflection of your soul. And then partly true, probably, was that she had moles. Her haters wrote that she had all these moles and like warts and shit all over her body. And that was a sign of witchcraft. But like, I honestly think that it was like a beauty marker, yeah. like just one random. I mean, like, who doesn't have moles? I, I have them. I have them I on ha- my shoulder. I have a beauty mark on my cheek. I have a mole right here on my cleavage. <laughs> like they're normal, you know. Yeah. But back then, if you had an excessive amount of them, it was considered like a sign of witchcraft. Yeah, because I remember like whenever I went to a psychic and they did like a, a palm reading, if I had like a freckle, they were like, oh. "Oh, that means that you've got a little bit of psychic ability." Oh, really? So they're still kind of not that I think that's witchcraft, but but there's still there's still that association. Very interesting. She was obviously attractive, though, because she wouldn't have caught the eye of so many suitors. Yeah, and they were all noble men if, who were used to seeing really pretty if women If she around. was ugly, because, like, there are so many, his, like, people that wrote about her yeah. right after her time calling her, like, ugly and hideous. She she simply had to have been pretty So what, she wouldn't have caught the eye of these guys. What I read was that the guy that wrote all of this negative stuff about her appearance Mm -hmm. was exiled by Anne Boleyn's daughter, who we'll obviously do an episode on. One day. (laughs) Oh, so Elizabeth first exiled exiled him. So he was like, her mom had so many warts. And an extra finger. And he even went so far as to say that's why she wore those long sleeves. Those and a high neck. And the high neck was to hide her. And that was something that Anne Boleyn was known for was her, like, long sleeves and, like... Hate is gonna hate. Right? Time for her to go home to England. Anne was in France for seven years when she gets called home by her dad. So she's been in Europe for eight years, France for seven years. So she gets called back because there's some lands in Ireland that the Boleyns, 
the butlers, their cousins. Everybody's like trying to get a hold of these ladies. Yeah, right it's now. like somebody on Thomas Boleyn's side of the family, and they're they're like disputing over this land in Ireland. They bring their grievances to the king, and the king is just like, "Well, don't y'all have?" A boy and a girl, y'all could just, like, marry together to inherit it together and solve this problem. And Thomas Boleyn kind of reluctantly is like, yeah. Guess so. I got Anne. But I think in his heart, he wanted to put Anne somewhere else. He knew what potential she had to be a powerful person at court. So he didn't want to marry her and ship her off to Ireland. But anyway, so he writes Anne and is like, hey, girl, you got to come home. And she was like, ugh. Because, like, we, well, we really don't know Anne's feelings on this, but I assume it was, Because <laughs> going from, because I don't, I don't think she went to court immediately. I think she went home to Hever Castle for a little bit. How fucking bored she must have been from going from right. the French court to, like, sit here and get ready to get married in to the country in England. you're not yeah. really that attached Yeah. To. <clears throat> um, the marriage never actually took place. And I did read also that this marriage arrangement was just really a ploy by her father to get her back home. So because, he could put her into the English court? Exactly. And also because Mary had such an issue at court that he wanted to be like, okay, let's pull her back. Let's get her back home. Here's let's this put her in English court where I know where put, she is. Put her, put our family's reputation back. Yeah, into okay. the English court. But I bet she was kind of bored living back in England. I would be too. Her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, got her a spot in the English court being a lady of waiting to the Queen Catherine of Aragon. So we don't know for sure when Anne like hit the scene here with Catherine of Aragon as a yeah. lady in waiting. But it was likely that her sister Mary was already Henry VIII's mistress at the time. Yes. So, so that kind of got the ball rolling. His sister was the mistress of Henry VIII by 1522. Christine, again, Christine from the History Gal, says that she believes that she was the mistress by March 1522. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the Cath A episode Henry was a serial monogamist, which sounds crazy. No. When you think about him and him and all his wives and everything, it sounds crazy, but he really was. He, that we know of before Anne, he really only had two serious mistresses, Bessie Blount, Mary Mary Boleyn. And so a lot of people are like, oh, she came to court and the king immediately fell in love with her. No. No. She was at court for at least a good two or three years before there was any. Didn't even notice her. Yeah. Exactly. So, the first recorded presence of Anne Boleyn at court. She was at the Chateau Ville pageant. We don't know when she showed up, but it was sometime around this time, which was, the pageant was on March 4th, 1522. And it was on Shrove Tuesday, which is the day before Ash Wednesday. If if you watch the Tudors... They did it accurately. That is the best portrayal I've seen of this. I think, I don't know, I wasn't fucking there, but from (laughs) what I imagine it was like, that's the best portrayal besides the costumes they have the women wearing. So if you haven't seen the Tudors, the way they had it set up was there were like castle pillars Mm -hmm. like on the side and there were banners everywhere Mm -hmm. and there were women set up and men set up. So the like plot of this play, it's like basically a play they put on because they had a bunch of rich dignitaries (laughs) and stuff from other countries in town. So the plot of the play was there were these positive female attributes being held captive by negative female attributes and the kindness ones were like beauty and honor and kindness blah blah blah, Pity. blah, 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 blah. and Anne played the attribute perseverance which is as we get into her story is <laughs> irony it's just a little bit too on the nose yeah. like if this was a book i'd be like that was the most obvious foreshadowing ever but it's real <laughs> she played perseverance which means stead Fastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay. <laughs> so pretty much described her. Yeah. And so there were these good ladies that portrayed these good attributes. And then 
the they deacon, were held captive by and, these negative attributes. And from what I gathered, it was like there was a basement to this whole castle, and all the evil ladies lived in the basement. And, and they, the evil ladies were jealousy and scorn. And PMS and being bad at math, I think. <laughs> then the the knights come in like to save the the ladies that are being held captive and the knights are named loyalty gentleness, gentleness extravaganza paying for your meal blah, blah, blah. i don't know and so what i read is that they just basically had a big fucking food fight yeah yeah they like threw fruits at the bad ladies it was dates and oranges and then the women threw like rose water and, and so the ladies that were like the positive attributes were dressed in these white gowns mm-hmm. with um, sashes with their name on it. like Which their boobs are showing in the Tudors. And then the <laughs> ladies who were the bad ladies were dressed in black, and then the men came in dressed as knights or whatever. Yeah, and so my only issue that I take with the way this pageant is portrayed in Tudors is like, the women, <laughs> what the women are wearing would be considered underwear at the time. Yeah. You can like... Pretty much see their boobs through their white gowns. I can see and, their outlineage. Yeah. Like, I can outline the boob and, like, see where the nipple that, would be. <laughs> besides that, it was portrayed really well. And so she was Perseverance, the former queen of France, Henry's sister. Margaret was Beauty. I believe Mary Tudor was in it. I don't know what she played. And her future sister-in-law, Jane, was in it as well. Jane Parker yeah, so then afterwards, they just had this big fucking ball, big fucking feast. It was just an adorable little thing, and that is the first time Anne Boleyn is shown to definitely be at the Tudor court. Yeah, and so shortly after she like arrives in England, she's in the, the, the court with Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII. Things just start to fall apart for her marriage proposal with dear old... It just doesn't happen. ...Sunny Boy. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> We don't really know why. But she's free again. But she has other suitors, and she becomes really popular. Like, you hear the phrase courtly love, and she was so good at playing the game of courtly love. So it's basically like there's a rich noble man, and you just... He pursues the woman, and she says, no, 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 and he writes her poetry, and she says, no, no, no. There's really nothing involved beyond that. There's no relations involved. But she was really good at it. Yes. And she became very popular. And her first, like, major suitor was this guy called Henry Percy. And she starts a relationship with him, and he's the heir to the Earl of Northumberland. So he's super powerful, and he's quite the catch for her. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole oh, about the Percy family. Um, they're still the Earls and Dukes of Northumberland. And before oh, wow. this, they had been the Earls and Dukes of Northumberland couple hundred years so they're like a super old family side note you know how um the soccer team that my husband supports is tottenham hotspur so hotspur it comes from a nickname of a guy from the percy family katie you just like sports now i like sports now it turns out oh but I, I told steve that i was like hey i just ran into your soccer team in my, in my research for ambulance <laughs> Sports. Sports. Anyway. Percy and Anne really seem to be in love with each other. So uh, they promise each other they're going to get married. And that's something that if you did in court. In the 1600s, not even just in court, like any, it didn't matter if you were a, a duke or if you were a peasant. If you say, at this time in history, if you say in front of witnesses I intend to marry this woman, and she says, I intend to marry this man. It's legally binding. And so they have, so they've done that. And wish that we could say that that was all. And then they got married and they lived happily ever after. Nope. That did not happen. (laughs) Henry Percy is at this time in the household of this guy named Cardinal Wolsey, who is important. We'll talk more about him in the next episode. But he's like a little bit more in this one. Super powerful. No, 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 Mr. Percy. We have a much more prestigious match in line for you than the daughter of a knight, quote unquote. And Percy Percy was serving as a like a page boy Mm -hmm. in Wolsey's like 
little yeah that's realm. where he was getting his education like so, his finishing school or so whatever he was connected to wolsey so wolsey obviously had power over henry percy and anne didn't have titles she didn't have a big dowry it turns out that all along henry percy's family like had already promised him to this other family without like him knowing so wolsey when he finds out that <laughs> percy has promised to marry this knight's daughter tears him a new one like for real in front of the whole household like, like got a new butthole like <laughs> oh my god basically i won't read the quotes because they're all in like ye old english <laughs> but in modern day what it means is you're stupid you're a fucking idiot i'm telling your dad and then his dad comes in and is like you're being stupid and you're not marrying that nobody <laughs> no way jose Percy's pop, like, threatened his entire inheritance. He's, yep. he's like, yeah, you can marry her. You're never getting a dime from this family, and the earldom's going to your brother. And Henry Percy's not putting up any sort of a fight on that, Avi. I mean, I, his... don't, he, I just don't get the feel that he was a very, like, intimidating figure. You know what no, I mean? No, no, I, I feel didn't. like he was kind of a chill. I feel like he was kind of a hippie at this point in his yeah, life. He was kind for, of chill, you know? For, for 1500s, he was mm-hmm, a hippie. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> So back up, back it, back, 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 back it up. <laughs> Who is this Wolsey guy? Let's talk about him for a second and why he was important. So he was on Henry's Privy Council, which just means he he's was this... Henry's Privy Council. Yeah. <laughs> just to sum it up, he is like super fucking powerful. I was talking to Emily from Tudor. I hardly know her. A good oh, yes. friend of us, a good friend of our show. And she summed it up like this. He shaped a lot of Henry's policy. He was his chief advisor. He wielded an insane amount of power while Henry was enjoying the rewards of being king. So basically, Wolsey was the puppet master, for like a lack of a better term. And the king got to go hunt women and animals. And, and... Wolsey did all the work. <laughs> yep. Good, Foreshadowing. Good description there. <laughs> Foreshadowing a little bit later. A lot of people think Anne may have been like, he talked about me like I was a piece of gutter trash or whatever. And, like, got her revenge Could later. you blame her, though? I like, mean, would you really blame her? Because he kind of did. He didn't did. say a lot of nice things about her. Yeah, and not about the guy that she loved, either. Yeah. So maybe she didn't have the best taste in her mouth. Yeah. I mean, this drink, this homewrecker drink is a lot more tasty than that bitter shit that they were drinking. Oh, <laughs> this burnt. is really good. This you is burnt. really good. Anyway, <laughs> another possible suitor, which I don't think they ever went as serious to, like, make no, promises not to each all. other. Was uh, Thomas Wyatt. I think this was more of the courtly love that I we were talking about. love Thomas Wyatt's poetry. Yeah. Like Some of it was well, written he, about her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, well, it's debatable, but I think at least two, like, very well-known poems were. He's credited with bringing the sonnet to England. <clears throat> he was very unhappily married by the time he came to court. And when they met, you know, he was married, so I don't think they ever made promises to each other or anything. And like we said with the courtly love thing, like, this girl would go and, like, talk to this guy, and he would write all this fantastic poetry about her. Yeah. I mean, it was Sir Thomas Wyatt, and he just, like, thought of all this new poetic devices, so obviously... I I think he was definitely infatuated with her, but I think it ended there. That's it. Eventually, she caught the eye of the king. Yeah, she may have not been this great beauty for the time... But one of her biographers wrote that she was remarkable, intelligent, quick-witted, full young noblewoman. So she first drew people into conversation with her and then amused and entertained them. In short, her energy and vitality made her the center of attention in any social gathering. And Henry loved a good, smart, intelligent woman. Yeah, he loved to debate. He loved to, like, have political conversation. He liked a witty gal, and that, that this is no surprise that she caught his eye. So let's talk Henry in 1520. He is not like the big, fat, bloated tyrant that you think no. of That's now. much later on. He's handsome. He writes poetry. He writes music. But, <laughs> I mean, he's athletic. He's hot. I think I think you've got like a little bit of a partial bias here because I like ginger. I like hot gingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've yeah. got a hot, tall ginger with light eyes. That sounds like your husband. It does sound like my husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Hopefully, my husband doesn't go the way of Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who would you be? Would you be Catherine of Aragon or Anne Boleyn? 
Oh, can I just be Catherine Parr? <laughs> You're opting out. <laughs> no, I'd be Anne Boleyn because I'm the love of his life, obviously. Anyway. <laughs> but no, so he's like <coughs> hot, sexy, smart, like renaissance man. Yeah, it's not like this old, fat tyrant's coming after her. And they legitimately, like, a lot of the women, like, he had a lot of people that were pursuing him as women, but they were interested in him. Yeah. Like, he was a catch. It's not like he's this ugly, nasty, disgusting old man, but... Exactly. So, when exactly did she catch the eye of the king? Uh, So, he stopped sleeping with Mary, her sister, in 1526. Yeah. So... Probably sometime after that. In 1527 is when they first started seeing the love letters that he wrote Anne, and they are a little that, bit stalkerish. That's a guess, though. <laughs> like, we assume... That's just, like, an educated guess from people that the first one came around 1527. But no, yeah, they are a little bit stalkerish. That is very, very appropriate. But, like, in the first letter that the educated guess is that it came in 1527... <laughs> He says, having been for above a whole year stricken with the dart of love and not yet sure whether I shall fail of finding a place in your heart in affection. Which basically so that, just means I'm, I'm asking. So that indicates you. if it's been, he says, having been for above a whole year. And if she got that letter in 1527, he probably first started trying to court her. In 1526. Pretty much as soon as he was done with her sister. Yep. Which... I don't know about you, but I'd That's give, nasty. I'd give some resistance, too. Because like, <laughs> it's also very much thought that... So his, her sister Mary had two kids while she was mistress to Henry. Yeah. And even though uh, Mary's husband claimed both of the kids... At least one of them may have been Henry's. Yeah. At least one of them. So I could see why... She wouldn't be like, oh, take me. <laughs> you know? It's like, um, you just broke up with my sister. I, I know, right? And it, it, I don't know. This this is something that maybe we should talk about later. But yeah. Catherine of Aragon, like, was accused of sleeping with Arthur. And he's sitting there sleeping with Mary Bowman. It's a, the whole dispensation. <laughs> but the um, long and short of it, she was probably at court for about three, uh, four years before he fell in love with her right after... He dumped her sister. (laughs) So, but he took his time noticing her. But once he did, he fell in love with her hard. Yeah, and Henry had, at this point, stopped sleeping with Catherine. Mm. So. Yeah, he told Catherine, like, look, nothing's going to come with this. I'm not. Yeah, she's at that point was considered too old to have children in the Tudor times. And he goes ham for Anne. Yep. After he starts flirting hard with her, she leaves court. So whether she's playing hard to get or just, like, did not want his advances, we'll never know. Yeah, I don't think she wanted him. I don't know. But he sent her jewels, and she sent them back. So that's what makes me think that she didn't want it. Or was she... He had never asked, like, he had never flirted with a woman and have her tell him no before. So maybe he was just excited like it's a hunt you know what i mean yeah. it's like so a this really was like playing hunt. hard to get before playing hard to get was really a thing or if she just didn't like him it was super harassment <laughs> you know what i mean like super duper harassment around this time Anne's father thomas is given a title he becomes the viscount of rochford a viscount is above a baron but below an earl and an earl is below a duke so it's a middle of but like it's not a super high ranking but it's not the lowest either and oh what a coincidence that he's courting Anne. she's saying no or she's like not responding to him and now he's getting promoted and he's giving her dad a title like i think that's so that her dad would be like come on just go sleep with the king real quick and then (laughs) and then his brother was also appointed the gentleman of the privy chamber Mm-hmm. So it's like now all of a sudden she's putting up resistance and he's going to start appointing yeah. family members and in power. It, and at this point, I mean, to get titles, to become a gentleman of the privy chamber was basically to become like a lady in waiting. Like yeah. it was, So, I mean, of course they're going to start putting pressure on her, like, because 
look, it's good for the family. Just fucking flirt with the king back. Or so whatever. is it possible she was being coached at the time? So, so in, when you watch like the Tudors or Wolf Hall, stuff like that, they show her father and her uncle just being like, or the other Boleyn girl or whatever. They show her father and her uncle being like, do it, do it, go for it. It's good for the family. I don't think her and Christine from the History Gal agreed with me. I don't think her father worked this hard for this many years for his daughters to become mistresses. No. I think he may have turned a blind eye, but I don't think he was pushing her into it. Her uncle, on the other hand, I'm not going to say didn't, like, try to push her into it. Yeah, he He probably did. He (laughs) seems like a skeevy guy. So from the book that I read, which was The Lady in the Tower, it kind of depicts it as Anne was talking to her sister and gathered information from her sister and was like, Maybe I shouldn't follow the same path that my sister went down. Yeah. From what I gathered, from what I researched, was that Anne got it from her sister, not her dad or her uncle. She, if there I was got the any, coaching. On yeah, how if to there like, was any coaching going on, it would But go I don't on. think her sister would have been pushing her into No, it. her sister... Like her, her dad or not, her uncle might have been can, pushing her into it. I think her it. sister would have been like, hey... This is what's going to happen if, mm-hmm. if you go down this path, because look at me. Yeah. Like, so I think it was, her sister was less coaching, more just being like, look, look at my situation. Yeah. Anyway. So it's a, <laughs> it is an interesting theory to think, okay, did she do this blindly, or did she have people telling her, get into this relationship? Do it, do it, do yeah. it. So Henry ends up asking Anne to be his, like, official About a year. About a year into, like, writing her letters and just being obsessed with her, he's like, look, I want to make you the official mistress. Uh, is it Mistress Entree? Is that how you say yes. it? So that, we've discussed that before, like, in our French podcast. That was an official title at French court. The Mistress Entree, and it just meant official mistress and it was basically it was a very powerful position at court and it had never been an official position at english court and he was like i'm gonna create this position and you're gonna have an income you're gonna have your ladies at waiting so he was telling her i'm not gonna let you be like your sister yeah i'm gonna give you an income you're gonna have your ladies in waiting you're gonna be protected i'm gonna recognize our children together blah 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 he tried to french fry the english court he tried to french fry he tried to French fry the English court for her because he knew how much she loved English culture. And that was the whole thing, is that he was trying to make the mattress en titre or whatever title gonna... to be able to make her the official mistress, but she was having nothing of it. She was. He was like, I'm going to give you your own court. I'm going to give you all the jewels you want. You're going to have your own ladies-in-waiting. Everybody gets a car. What do you say? <laughs> and she said no. <laughs> she acts offended. She's like, why do you think I would just sleep with you? What have I done to make you think I'm such a slutty McSlut face, basically? Right. And he's just like, what? 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 The fuck? What? <laughs> because one, not only has no woman really ever turned him down before, because he's the king of England, he's never made such a grand gesture to any woman mm. before, besides his wife, and then to be turned down on top of that, he is just like, what the fuck just happened? But that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and Anne, you know, she just, she just kind of like disappears for. She lays low. She's like, I can't. Yeah, she went back to Hever Castle and just kind of laid low while Henry just so continued to write her stalkery fucking. Letters. Do we think she's playing hard to get, playing smart, or just not that into him at this point? I don't know. I think she definitely saw what happened with her sister and was like, well, I don't, I don't want to be the king's mistress for four years and then just be completely disregarded like that Mm -hmm. so there's that but then part of me thinks that like at first she just like was not that into him but you can't tell the king i just don't like you because we've seen what happens and then her family gets stripped of like all their land like him just decides some reason to be like well then i'm gonna imprison your father you know like (laughs) see for me i guess I saw, like, I mean, the original question that you said was, is she playing hard to get or is she playing smart? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very clever the way that you worded it. (laughs) Because to me, for her, playing hard to get is playing smart. Well, yeah. 
So because no one's ever played hard to get with the yeah. king before. So for her, it was yeah, she was playing hard to get, but she was also playing smart at the same time yeah, because that's, that's how true. she was gonna get. So she knew the only way, like I need to play this smart, mm-hmm. and by playing smart, I need to play hard to get. Exactly. No, I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. It's it's just such a complicated. And we will never know. We don't know her feelings because of their letters that were written back and forth to them. All the ones that Henry wrote her were preserved, and all the ones she wrote him have been destroyed. Why? Because... Well, he destroyed everything. Because stalker. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, it's like everything ends badly, and he's like, I have to burn the letters and get rid of everything. He was dramatic. He, He... that is an understatement. <laughs> he was such an emo kid. Extra. Extra. <laughs> so around this time, Henry tells Cardinal Wolsey, look, I don't, I want to get out of my marriage to Catherine. You need to investigate it. And this has been in like Henry's mind for a while. I, and it, I mean, and that's another thing that like people are like, oh, Anne wanted to hold out so she would be made queen. No, at the mm-hmm. beginning of this, she didn't have it in her mind at all that she would be made queen she didn't want any of it well let's say even if she did let's say she did want it i still don't think that she ever had it in her mind that she would be made queen because kings married for alliances you know the last time a king had married um one of his subjects was a little bit elizabeth woodville and look what that caused, you know? Touché. And that was, so there was Elizabeth Woodville, and before her, the last time the king had married one of his subjects was, like, in the 1060s or something, like, before the conquest. So, like, it just didn't happen. So I don't think she was thinking, oh, I'm going to play hard to get so I can become queen. Was the Sphinx 10,000 years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show. Historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca Lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. So while Anne is gone, Henry's investigating how to become a single man. He thinks he's just going to send Wolsey off to Rome and be like, hey, look at this passage in the Bible. Don't marry your... Your brother's wife, bada bing, bada boom, single. In the early summer of 1527, Henry uh, writes to her, has officially worn her down, whether that's from his love or his harassment. Worn her down is an understatement. Yeah. And he, like, officially proposes marriage to her. I mean, what is she going to say? And I'm not really sure that she's in love with him. Uh, at this point. At this point, I don't think that she's in love with him. She's more scared to fucking I mean, you don't say no to the king. Also, like, oh my fucking God. Like, you don't, kings don't propose to their subjects, and this is happening. You're going to say yes. Even if he's an 80-year-old ogre, you're going to say yes. But no, he's a young, hot king. I mean, we were just talking about this, like, even, like, noble men who were in the court would say, if he was like, hey, mow my grass, they'd be like, sure. Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. I don't want to die. Yeah. (laughs) So she accepts his proposal, and she sends him this ornament. It's a ship. 
And at the bow of the ship is like um, a woman standing alone. And then, there's a, and then there's a diamond hanging off the front of the ship, this little trinket. To this day, historians still debate, what does that mean? But Henry took it to mean that it's a woman on a ship by herself, just trusting that the ship will get her where she needs to go. So she is the woman and the diamond, and he is the ship. Ah. And that was her saying, yes, I trust you. No, Let's see, what this. I saw was is hers, the ship, the diamond, and the woman being like, let me get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how Henry took it. Henry took it a completely different way. But no, I'm going to take my money myself. But that's one of the reasons I think Henry loved her so much because she was, like a normal woman would just say yes or no. But she sends this cryptic device. He ate that shit up. You know he did. Ate that ship up. He ate that ship up. That's what I said. That's appropriate. He just popped it in his mouth. (laughs) No, no, he put that wood in his mouth. Oh, gross. I'm but sorry. no, potty mouth. But what? But no. But so it was her acceptance. Yes. So yeah. So she comes back to court. Poor Catherine. <laughs> no. This whole she, time. And she comes back to court. She is still technically a wait, a lady in waiting to Catherine, but she has her own apartments. She has her own jewels coming to her. Yeah. At this point, she thought that she was just a mistress. And now Henry's, like, sending her money and land and power. Exactly. And, and so Catherine's going, wait a second. I'm Isabella and Ferdinand's daughter. I know some shit's about to go down. Mm-hmm. So Henry had never flaunted a mistress no. like this before. Like we said, he had had Ble- Bessie Blount before and then Mary Boleyn. And they had, like, kids. kids and they had, on had kids, kids, on kids together and stuff. But he had never... Like, just so obviously, like, he was always respectful to Catherine in this. But with Anne, it was different. Like, he paraded her around. And, and was, he was a little bit more extra than the other girls that in, he had paraded around. In May 1527, the, the French ambassador comes to England. And two nights in a row, Henry dances with Anne. And, like, now you kind of think, like, well, okay, who cares? He danced with the same girl two nights in a row. But it was at a very deliberate time in the celebrations. It was deliberate to show the court, to show the French ambassador, to show like, this is my boo. And then literally like 12 days later, after all of this, Wolsey uh, states that he's really seeking an annulment between Catherine yeah. and Henry. He starts like his secret council in Rome or whatever to like so get his So is that annulment. is that just a coincidence that he's parading Anne around at the same time that he's getting an annulment? No, it's yeah. not a coincidence. No, absolutely not. <laughs> just to wrap up cuz we're we're getting to the end of this episode now. I do, I'm not convinced that she loved him early on, but I do think by the time we get Started on episode number two about Anne. I do think she loved him at that point. What Do you think she ever fell in love with him? I think, well, for me, it's a toss-up between whether she really loved him or whether she really didn't. The love that I think that they had was incidental. Oh, it just So you think happened. she just happened to love him because he was forcing it on her, basically? Yes. Okay. Of like that, if I had a toss up, if I had to choose between whether she completely 100% loved him or didn't at all, I would say that it was an incidental love. Okay. Like it was just something where, yeah, she, she learned. Kind of almost a Stockholm syndrome? Yeah. Like she okay. learned to love okay. him. She learned to love him, and it was something that she didn't initially want at all. Okay. So, um, okay. Wolsey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, so, Wolsey goes away to try to, like, undo Henry's marriage to Catherine. And Henry tells Catherine, like, I I plan to divorce you. But, again, he never brings up Anne. He just is like, this is God's will. You were my brother's wife. So, we're he, gonna be getting a divorce he brought now. up, like we covered in the Catherine of Aragon episode, he brought up scriptures in Leviticus that were, if you lay with your brother's husband, you And it will- doesn't go well. You, you wouldn't have babies. Yeah. And he's completely ignoring what Catherine of Aragon was saying with in chapters of Deuteronomy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But it's bullshit. In the end, it doesn't go well. He's expecting Catherine to just be like, whatever you say, sir. But she throws a fight, like puts up a fight. And then he's expecting Wolsey to come back and be like, the Pope agrees with us. Thumbs up. But he comes back and he's like, 
bad news. The Pope has been taken hostage by Catherine's fucking nephew. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we'll leave you. So to recap, <laughs> Henry and Anne think they're going to be married within the year. And Catherine and Aragon is like, I don't think so. I've got a nephew who's going to take the Pope over. Uh, the Pope. Cliffhanger. So, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. This is our first three-part episode we're going to do. <laughs> so this is usually where we wrap up someone's life, but we got a few more parts to do before that. So cheers. Love you, Anne. <laughs> Bye, bitches. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into... Unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.